great day. You know, I wake up every Christmas morning and I, I marvel at the fact that on this day, the world stands still and worships Jesus. Whether they know him or not, the world stands still and worships Jesus. Yeah. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, what you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, that there is not a moment that goes by that you are not with us. So the point of Jesus is that God is with us. Yes. And Lord God, I want to I thank you for that. I want to thank you that when we go to work in January again, when we on the beach playing with our children, when we are swatting for that exam, you're with us. Yeah. When we're facing that difficult relationship, you're with us. When the joyous times, you're with us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that there is not a moment that you are not with us. I pray, Lord God, that today we would come to terms with the enormity of what happened 2,000 years ago when you stepped out onto earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. amen. So great to be with you. Wasn't that great to have the next generation in our worship to go get our delighted. Thank you, thank you. So appreciate you, so appreciate you. So we appreciate the worship team, yeah. and all of them as well. Mala was just amazing, amazing worship. Thank you so much to all of you. I want to I start by sharing three fun facts about Christmas. How's that for you? Three, three things you probably didn't know about Christmas. And the first, the first one is the Christmas tree. Have you ever wondered where the Christmas tree came from? Well, legend has it that Martin Luther, who was one of the greatest reformers of all time, he was walking home one day in the German winter snow over, and he was looking at the beauty and the majesty of the pine trees in the area. And he noticed how all the pine trees come to a point and point to heaven and point to Jesus. And so he said, and then and he said, as he was looking at it, he noticed the stars shining between the branches of these beautiful trees. And he thought, this is the most magnificent thing that points to the coming of our Savior. These trees pointing to heaven and the beautiful stars speaking of the light of the world that came through Jesus Christ. And as he was walking home, he realized his wife was at home probably cooking a meal, probably doing all the things wives do. And he was saying to himself, she, she hasn't experienced this beauty. So you know what he did? He went on and he cut down a fir tree and he took it into the lounge if they had allowed. I'm not sure how their houses were in those days. But he took it into the house and he decorated it with tiny candles so that everyone in the house could see what he had seen as he was walking home in the, in the evening that day. They would see a tree that pointed to Jesus, to the glory of what God had done in Christ, at Christmas time, and then would be filled with the light of the world. And that's how Christmas trees began. Yeah. At Christmas, believe it or not. How about Santa Claus? Have you ever wondered about Santa Claus? I know there are a lot of, there's a, a lot of things have been, um, added to the legend, but, but Santa Claus was a real person. His name was Saint Nicholas. Yeah. And Saint, Saint Nicholas was in the first millennium, I can't, I can't remember when, but a couple of hundreds of years after Jesus. He was a, he was a bishop in the Turkish town of Myra. It wasn't Turkey in those days, but it is now. In the town of Myra. And he was exceptionally concerned for the poor of the city. And so what he would do is he would notice when people were uh, uh, destitute and he would secretly give them gifts. There's a famous story about a poor family who had three 
young girls who the father could not afford a dowry for them. And in those days, that meant they could not get married and would, would live a life of, uh, of I don't know, not, not being wealthy and not being well thought of in the community. And so what he did is he sneaked into their house day after day and he would leave a little bag of money there until they had collected enough of dowries for those three girls. And of course, because everyone finally knew it was him sneaking in and giving these gifts, but that's how the whole concept of giving gifts began on Christmas. That, that people took that and said, let's secretly give people gifts and bless them beyond their, their wildest imagination. So that's where gift giving came for Christmas. St. Nicholas was brought over to America by the Dutch state the Dutch immigrants, and they had, they had a nickname for him, they called him Sinterklaas, Saint Klaus, Nicholas. Um, that was their nickname for him, and that developed into Santa Claus. Of course, the red, the big fat red ho 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 man with the beard, that's, that's all commercial. That's, that's all, that's all um, 20th century invention. But the fact that there was a good man who loved the poor and gave gifts is something we celebrate at Christmas. And we celebrate the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ, that God is a, God is a giving God. Can I give you one more? One more. So this, this, this one's going to rock your world. I had a theology professor who rocked my world with this one. That whole thing, there was no room in the end for Jesus, for Mary, to give birth to Jesus. You know that whole story. Well, here's the wild thing, is that and the word for there was no room in the inn is not actually the word for inn in the Bible. It's the room for um, the word for guest room. Many of your mo- your modern translations in Luke two, instead of saying there was no room at the inn, will say there was no room at the guest room. In no room in the guest room. In those days, all houses had two floors. The, the upper floor was where the family lived. Underneath was the place where they kept their animals, yeah. so that they would they would be safe and well kept and they could look after them and be close by. I don't know about keeping cows in in my basement, but nonetheless, they did that. They did that. And when the the Bible says that there was no room in the guest room, literally what it means is that um, every house in those days consisted of four rooms and one of them was for when, when guests came and they would kind of all pack into these tiny little houses. Remember, they were all moving to the different towns to be part of that census. Um, Joseph was bringing Mary to Bethlehem because he was of the lineage of David and Bethlehem was the town of David. And he brought Mary there to be part of the census. They all would have gone to the family home in Bethlehem and everyone from everywhere would have come there for the census and so it was packed. All the houses were packed with the people in the town coming for the census. And when it says there was no room at the inn, it really means there was no room in the guest room. So Mary went down to the underneath where the animals were kept to have the baby, which was quite a common thing in those days because the mothers didn't really want to have their babies with everyone watching. So they went down often to the to the underneath the house where the animals were. Of course, the animals weren't there at that time. That's why she could put Jesus in the manger. How do we know that? Because the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. At that time, the, 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 that season, the animals were all out in the fields. Amen. So I, I, maybe I rocked your world. I had my world rocked a little bit. <laughs> I had my world rocked a little bit. But what I think that speaks of to me is that when, when you see the picture of Mary and Joseph going from inn to inn and finding no room at the inn, it speaks of this like this rejection of Jesus. 
and that like there's no place for him. And instead, there's this picture of this universal acceptance by the family of this this beautiful baby that was coming to change the world. And that's really the, the picture we should get, that this, this family was welcoming this mother who was about to give birth to the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. So if I rocked your world, well done. That's, that's what I went through in my theological training. I had my world rocked every time. Every time my theological professor spoke, I had to throw up one sermon. It was crazy. But here we are talking about Jesus. And I want to I want to take us to a passage of scripture in Isaiah. If you remember, if you remember Andrew speaking last Sunday, he spoke about the fact that at the time of Jesus' birth, the whole of the Jewish world was abuzz with the excitement of a Messiah who was coming. They were reading the scriptures, they were reading passages, and they were thinking, this could be the time when the Messiah would come. And this was one of the passages they were reading out of the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, one of the most famous passages that prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. It says from verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Don't you like that emphatic statement at the end? It's like no matter what happens in the world, God will do this. God will do this. Yeah. The other morning, or it wasn't in the morning, it was kind of like two in the morning. So I guess it was the morning, but Ooh. earlier than anybody wants to be awake. I woke up one I woke up and it was dark in the room. The moon was kind of shining in a little bit. And I saw this dark, shadowy, tall figure standing at the foot of my bed. My heart stopped. I was just reached over, put on the light, and saw, oh yes, I hung my gown on the back of the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I don't usually do that, but there it is. A dark shadowy figure turns out to be my gown. <laughs> has, has something like that ever happened to you? Yes. <laughs> you know, maybe this is happen- it hasn't happened to me in a while because my children are older and they don't necessarily need their toys lying around in my house anymore, but have you ever like stumbled to the bathroom in the middle of the night and, and tripped over a little mound of blocks or some Legos left over or a ball over there? It's like, it's like in the dark. Things that aren't dangerous seem dangerous, like my gown. But also, things that aren't dangerous become dangerous, like the blocks on the floor in the dark, because you just can't see. And you know, when, when I think about Jesus coming, I think, is that he came to a world flooded with darkness. You don't know, you don't think of the world without God as flooded with darkness, but really that's what it is. We become accustomed to living in a world without righteousness, justice, love, peace, goodness. And often we, in that world, we're mistaking good people for bad people, bad people for good people. We are, we are misreading the cues and what's around us. And this is the world that Jesus stepped into, a world of 
of infighting, of racial tensions, of relational breakdowns, of death, of destruction, of crime. He stepped into this darkness where mankind was living where they could not fully comprehend truth. And he brought light. He brought revelation. He brought truth. He filled that world with a new way of being. The first thing that Jesus did is he brought a new end. What I see about this passage is that Jesus, because of Jesus, a new reality is here. A new reality is here. You can bring up those next scriptures, thank you. There are some things that Jesus said in Matthew 10 when he was sending out his disciples. He made the statement, he said, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Acts 17, when the disciples were going through all of Asia and a small part of Europe, at one town where they were just, they were so angry with what was happening, that, and they were so, so, this, the Christian doctrine was so penetrating the environment, the rulers of that city brought some of the Christians to trial and to be, to be questioned about this. And one of the statements they made about the Christians of those times, they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to turn the world upside down, or if you please, right side up. He came to change everything. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? A new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of living is at hand. I love that Isaiah 9 where it talks about the righteousness and the justice that will come. One of Jesus' primary purposes was to reformat nations, to reformat the way we do life, to reformat the way you think about yourself, the way you relate to God, and the way you relate to your neighbor. Yes. He came to reformat everything. No one can come to know Jesus and stay the same. If they do stay the same, they haven't found Jesus. Yep, that's right. Anyone who claims to know Jesus and remains as they were before has not found Jesus because this is the nature of who he is. He changes everything. Think back. Think back to a time when maybe you didn't know God. I think back and I think of who I was. And I have to be really honest. I could put up a good front, but deep down I was not a nice person. I was angry, I was disillusioned, I was afraid, and because of my fear, I reacted to things in ways that I shouldn't have. I defended myself when I shouldn't. I defended myself often by putting down other people. And perhaps you say, poor Carol, you were really a bad case. I want to suggest that maybe we were all like that. That for all of us without Jesus, our primary occupation was taking care of ourselves. The beauty of when Jesus comes in, he takes care of you. So you don't have to take care of yourself, you can take care of others. This is how he brings justice and righteousness to the world. You see, he takes off the glasses of selfishness, self-centeredness, and he puts on the glasses of love. And you see the world in a different way. Jesus came to bring a new reality. Jesus came to reveal God as he truly is. I bet you, 
If you went out there today and asked 100 people who God was, you'd get a different answer from everyone. Growing up in a somewhat religious environment, it was sometimes religious and sometimes completely not. It was just depending on the day. But growing up in that kind of environment, my view of God was completely warped. I don't know what your view of God was, but certainly my view of God was something like this, that, that I had to try and be really, really good so that at the end of my life, God would have this giant scale and he would weigh up all my good deeds and all my bad deeds. And if my good deeds happened to outweigh my bad deeds, I could get into heaven. <coughs> now, what I found difficult is it was really hard to do those good deeds. And if I was honest with myself, my bad deeds were outweighing my good deeds almost every day. It didn't seem to bother me all that much, <laughs> to be honest. But that was my view of God. And my view of God was of a distant God that, that wasn't really interested in my everyday life. But Jesus came to show who God really was. A Christian preacher that I admire very much said this once, that Jesus Christ is true theology. Yeah. What does he mean when he says that? He says that everything you know about God that looks different from Jesus is wrong. That Jesus is a representation of who God is. Not a He is God, but He came to show us who God is. And therefore, any view of God you have that is different from the view of, of God that Jesus showed us is wrong. Yeah. And part of us growing in Him is that we, we learn to take off the religious mask, the religious wrong thinking, the, the ungodliness, the ways of thinking about God that have been warped by our society. And we, are, we allow ourselves to remove those and see God as the loving, righteous, holy, pure, accessible, involved Father that He is. Some of the things that Jesus spoke, or some of the things that the scriptures spoke about who Jesus would be called, and what it means is that he would exemplify these so this, these things so much the people around him would, would call him those things. It's like Andrew is so darn good looking that I have no choice but to call him handsome. I know. <laughs> but that's what, what it's implying. It's like Jesus would exemplify these things so much that everyone around him would just call him that. It wasn't saying that that was going to be his name. It says that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. The word for wonderful literally is often translated miraculous. Miraculous Counselor. What does it mean? It's, a, it's the advice and truth that Jesus brings to you, brings about miraculous change in your life. He will be called Mighty God. You know, we sometimes forget just how powerful God is. That one moment in his presence has the power to change everything. I was interfacing with a woman recently who had, who had developed a lump on a part of her body. And this lump, she hadn't been to the doctor, so she didn't know what it was, but she was terrified that this lump was something bad. And so she came to me and she said, would I pray for her? So I laid my hand on the lump and I cursed that lump and I blessed her body. I said, the, the, 
what Jesus came to do to set things right. I just speak that right now over this body. What ended up happening is nothing happened. <laughs> just to let you know, first time I prayed. Um, a few, a little while later, she came to me again and said, come, let's pray again. And what ended up happening is I prayed maybe six, seven, eight times. I don't remember how many times I prayed. And, you know, the last few times, I felt like the lump felt a bit different. It felt like softer and smaller. I asked her, she was like, ah, oh, no, I don't know. And then the last time she came to me and asked me to pray for her, I went to lay my hand on the lump, and when I went there, there was no lump. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah I didn't even want to Jesus came to show almighty God. You cannot read the Gospels without seeing the never-ending miracles, the never-ending display of God's power, not just because God wants you to think he's awesome, which he is awesome, but, but because God wants to set things right. That every one of Jesus' miracles set something right. It changed the life. It made things right. It, it made things good. It healed things, not only physically, but emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus came to show a mighty God that is powerful to change things. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Literally, that means Father of the age to come. I love that because I don't know how you feel about the age to come. The age to come starts tomorrow, by the way. I mean, that's, you know, the age to come. But the future. The Father of the future. What does that mean? The future is in His hands. You don't have to worry about it. How about the Prince of Peace? The Prince of Peace. You know, for us, peace often simply means I stop fighting with my neighbor or the war in Syria ceases. You know, peace can mean those, those kind of things that there is no more fighting. But peace in the Jewish understanding was something so enormous. That's right. It was something so large. It wasn't, it wasn't just the fact that they weren't fighting a war. Peace for the Jewish mind was three things. It was relational reconciliation. It meant that you were in right standing with your neighbors and with God. That's what peace meant. The other thing peace meant, it meant that it was societal justice. They understood peace or the word shalom to mean that things were right in the world. That they were no poor amongst them. That people were not disadvantaged by virtue of some aspect of their birth. That, that people all had the same chance at success in the world. That there was, there was a level playing field and things were right and good for everyone. And the last thing that it meant, it meant physical and emotional wholeness. So it meant that you weren't sick. That you weren't damaged. That you weren't emotionally heartbroken, but that you were whole. Yeah. It was well-being in your soul. That's right. Jesus is that Prince of Peace. John 17 verse 3 is a, a scripture that talks or records a prayer that Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father. And it says there that he was praying this and he said in the middle of the prayer, and this is eternal life. He was praying that we would all have eternal life. Said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So many people are living for another time where they will where they'll die and go to be in heaven and everything will be right. What if I tell you 
that that's a good thing and it's a good thing that we can hope for that. But the promise of Jesus is so much more than that. It is that the minute you meet Jesus, the minute you surrender to him, the minute you say yes to him, from that moment onwards, you have eternal life. And eternal life is a quality of life, not so much a term, not, not only a term or length of life. But that from the moment you meet Jesus, there is a light inside of you, a light inside of you, a revelation inside of you, a way of looking at the world that is so powerful and unquenchable. Eternal life starts now. Live, live, live like that. So much times we're living for something in the future. Live now. Live whole now. Live joyfully now. Live at peace now. Live Loving now, look joyfully now. Good. Moving on, the third thing that I get out of the scripture is that mankind's future is, is secure. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says this, of the increase of his government and peace, this is a scripture we read, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, Did you know that at the time that Jesus came, the Roman Empire, if you had a child and you didn't want that child, you had more children that you wanted, you had a girl that you didn't want a girl, whatever it was, you could simply take that baby and leave it at a particular wall outside of the city of Rome and leave it there to die. And it was considered absolutely acceptable. You know, a person was not considered a person until they were adults. Women were considered deformed men. Sure. Yeah. I hear the, the, the soprano giggles going through this, this house. Praise God, we were not born into the Roman Empire. But the regard for life was zero. Christianity came like a thunderbolt into that midst. Christians would go and collect those children from the, the wall, the, the wall of exposure, they called it. Would go and collect those children and raise them as their own. Women were elevated. Slaves was, were brought into the fold. Did you know that the majority of the evangelists of the first century were slaves? Yeah. That had found Jesus in their household and began to share the message with their masters and their environment around them. Christianity lifted up the lowest of the low. Christianity changed the world and continues to change the world. Did you know that all universities today are modeled on three, the three original universities, which was in Paris, Oxford, and Bologna? Do you know all three of those universities were started primarily to study scripture? To prepare people to know how to live out their life in everyday life in view of the they didn't call themselves Christian Christian universities. They weren't trying to be Christian. They were Christian. At the heart of what they were trying to do was to bring the truth of what the Bible had to say and stamp it on the world. And they were training men and women to do that. That's right. Christianity, the the invading is that a word? That's a word. Yeah. I made that. <laughs> it is from now on. We should use it three times in books and we'll go into the Oxford Dictionary. The invading presence of God through Jesus Christ changed the world and continues forever to change 
Of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. What does this mean? It means that your future is secure. It means that God has already gone into the future and prepared increase and blessing for you. That's what it means. I've got a question for you. What would you do if you could not fail? What would you do if you could not fail? What would you do? No problem at all. What would you do if God were absolutely with you? What would you do if your future was secure? I'll tell you what I would do. I would build a church where every person was living out the fullness of the gifts of God. I would build a church where every person could know the love of God and could love others like that. I would build a church where every person was keenly interested in the well-being of their neighbor, who was reaching out and, and touching lives, communities, and society. And out of that, there was this ever-increasing um, circles of God's goodness invading society. I would build a church that would change nations. I would build a church that would not be stopped by anything. A church that held the light and the truth of Jesus Christ as foremost above everything. I built a church where every member loved Jesus more than they loved life itself. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us such a church. This is what I would do if I could not what would you do if you could not? Lord Jesus, I want to ask that as we as we celebrate Christmas, this would be so much more than the Christmas pudding and the roast turkey. All of us were great things, Lord. I ask there would be a time when we would reflect and the fact that God is with us. That the Almighty God stepped down from heaven, took our hand, and said, Let me show you how to. Let me show you how to live. Lord God, I pray that we would receive the joy and the peace. That the Prince of Peace indeed would be Prince of our lives, Lord God. That there would be racial reconciliation, relational reconciliation. That we would love unceasingly, we would love well, and we would be loved well. Lord God, I pray that there would be societal justice. Lord God, as I pray, pray this, Lord God, I'm asking for South Africa. As we sit in South Africa, we, we want to prophesy over this nation, receive your king. Of the increase of the government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of Jesus, government and peace, there will be no end. We speak it into the institutions. We speak it into our governments. We speak it into our schools. We speak it into our families. And we say, this is what Jesus died for. You will stand for nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. And we will not run and we will not hide. We will stand with the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our mouths, in our minds. And we will declare the goodness and the truth of who you are. And this nation will reflect the glory of God.
nation will reflect in the word of God because of the increase in the government of your government and peace in this And Lord God, we, we also, we just stand and we say, Lord God, Prince of Peace, would you heal our bodies? Would you heal our minds? Lord God, where we think wrong, where, we, where we've been damaged by our environments, where we have, we have built up coping mechanisms, self-protection mechanisms that have kept us from being everything we can be, Lord God. Would you take those away? Would you put the fullness of your life in us? Would you put joy in our deepest places of our heart, Lord God? Would you put wholeness and restoration in every part of us, Lord God? Father God, would the natural aspect of us be that we speak joy, we speak life, we speak encouragement. Lord God, let us face the life with courage because of the love of God that is in us. Make us whole, Lord. In body, soul, mind, and spirit. Make us whole. This is what we pray. This is what Christmas is, Lord. That you sit down out of heaven to make this true. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you.